Sports. From Diversion Podcast in association with iHeartRadio, I'm Gary Myers, and this is the GOAT, Tom Brady. Episode 12, play it again, Tom. The sequel is rarely as good as the original. That's true for movies, television shows, and quarterback careers. Rocky I was the best. By the time Sylvester Stallone produced what felt like Rocky 25, the story was played out. Does anybody think any of the three sequels to Jaws was better than the first one when the shark ate Quint for dinner? Come on, you gotta know when to hold them and when to fold them. Now let's talk about goats. Michael Jordan won six championships with the Chicago Bulls and then retired for three years before he came back for two forgettable seasons with the Washington Wizards. Willie Mays falling down in center field in the 1973 World Series at the end of his career playing for the New York Mets was a sad and unnecessary sight. Joe Namath in a Rams uniform and Joe Montana with the Chiefs still upsets me. For every Star Wars sequel or Peyton Manning reinventing himself following four neck surgeries and signing with the Denver Broncos and making it to two more Super Bowls, there's Johnny Unitas with the Chargers and Emmett Smith with the Cardinals and Jerry Rice with the Seahawks and Broncos. Which brings us to Tom Brady and the Bucks. What script is he writing? In this episode, I'm going to talk about the risk Brady embraced by leaving after 20 years in New England to play in Tampa with a perennial loser. And in a few minutes, you will hear from Joe Willie Namath about his experience moving to the Rams. Brady put his legacy on the line by exiting his comfort zone with the Patriots. He was a forever hero in New England, regardless of how the end of his career would have played out if he had stayed. Even if Patriots fans are upset with him now, especially with his old team struggling, how can they possibly boo him when the Bucks play in Foxborough in 2021? But all that wasn't good enough for Tom. What was he so unhappy about with the Patriots? He had never been paid market value, preferring to put his ego aside so the money he left on the table could be spent to keep the Patriots a Super Bowl caliber team every year. But then he looked around at his dwindling group of impact players and wondered where the money was going. Sources told me Brady had a deteriorating working relationship with offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels with his input on game plans diminished in 2019. And let's face it, the great thing about playing for Bill Belichick is he's the best coach in the league, maybe of all time. But if he has a warm and fuzzy side, Brady only saw it the six times they hugged after winning the Super Bowl and heard it in Belichick's farewell statement when Tom announced he was leaving New England. Otherwise, Belichick treated him no differently than the 52 other guys on the roster. The bad part of winning with Belichick is there is not much joy that comes with it. It's just not a fun environment. If winning wasn't fun with the hoodie, Brady didn't want to find out what losing was like. When Tom arrived in Tampa, he was asked about the similarities between him leaving New England and his hero, Joe Montana, leaving the 49ers. I was at Joe's last game at uh, Candlestick Park. I actually went up there and and saw it with my friend, and um, I'll never forget that. So he was an incredible player. He was my, he and Steve Young were my quarterback idols growing up. You know, I just think life, you know, is 
it, it continues to change for all of us. And, you know, just having the opportunity for me to continue to play football and, you know, lead a team is something that, you know, I, I love doing. And I've loved playing the sport since I was a kid, since I was throwing footballs in the parking lot at Candlestick. I spoke to Joe Namath recently about the circumstances that led to him departing the Jets in 1977 after 12 years and signing with the Rams. Jets owner Leon Hess wanted Namath to return, but Joe felt circumstances dictated it was time to move on. The Jets had drafted his Alabama protege, Richard Todd, in the first round in 1976 and had just gone through a tumultuous season with rookie coach Lou Holtz quitting after just 13 games. Namath asked Hess to let him leave. Broadway Joe wanted to be Hollywood Joe, and after being unable to work out a trade with the Rams, the Jets released Namath, and he signed with Los Angeles. I talked with Mr. Hess and Mrs. Hess uh, at dinner, and uh, I, I promised you, Gary, we cried, literally. I had tears coming down uh, our cheeks, uh, they wanted me to stay, and uh, I did want to stay because of them and the friendships that I've established or had established in the city of New York and the organization. But I knew I didn't belong as a player there. We, you know, we went through the change uh, with uh, Coach Holtz uh, in '76, and uh, Coach Holtz to me. Uh, I knew he was a fine coach, and he, he just out of his element, in a sense, dealing with pro players. And uh, Richard Todd, I had known for years and worked out with him at Alabama. We were dear friends. And Walt Michaels, who I'd, I'd known since I was a rookie, a defensive coordinator, was going to be the head coach. And I wanted to play. I wanted to physically be on the field. But I also knew that they needed to rebuild. They were rebuilding. Richard needed to play. And I didn't feel like I'd be doing uh, Walter justice and getting in the way, me getting in the way, so to mm -hmm. speak. By then, Namath was 34 years old, and due to ravaged knees, he didn't resemble the quarterback who led the Jets to victory in Super Bowl three over the Baltimore Colts nine years earlier in the biggest upset in pro football history, maybe even sports history. Here's Joe once again. It was the right thing I felt like then, and I know today, even though it didn't work out as well as I would have liked, uh, as well as we would have liked with the Rams, uh, it was a solid experience. Joe, how hard was it for you because you were so identified with the Jets and all you had accomplished there, you know, obviously including Super Bowl three, but how hard was it for you to put on another uniform? Well, they gave me the same number. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that, was, that, that was good. That was cool. It, it was uh, not hard. I wouldn't say hard, difficult. It was, it was different. Of course, it was strange. Uh, uh, you know, you do 12 years uh, with the green and the white, man, and the city and the fans, and uh, it, 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 making the change uh, was a bit awkward. Namath was an aspiring actor, and he received better reviews for his role in the 1970 classic C.C. and Company with Anne Margaret 
than he did in his one season with the Rams. Joe was benched after throwing four interceptions in the fourth game of the 1977 season. He did not get in the game through the rest of the year and retired. We'll be back with more of the GOAT, Tom Brady, right after this. be forever associated with the Jets. His L.A. story was forgettable. Brady will always be the most important player in Patriots history, but now he has a chance to accomplish that in Tampa, too, if he can bring the Bucks a championship. Namath told me that he's met Brady only a handful of times and never spoken to him for more than 90 seconds at any time. He joked that he didn't get to meet Brady at many of the Super Bowls he attended, because Tom was always playing in the game. Still, he was surprised, as anyone, when Brady decided to leave New England. Yes, I was. I was surprised, uh, but not knowing the situation. You know, I don't get surprised about a lot of things these days. It's, you know, initially a surprise. Wow, you know, that's something. But whenever you start to think about it a little more deeply, uh, I consider that I don't know. I didn't know his situation mm-hmm. with front office, with the coaching staff. You know, I didn't live that. He's lived it. And uh, he he's the only one, I think, he and his family that uh, could make that decision. And uh, it looks like it's working out. Brady got off to a good start in Tampa. He was the NFC Offensive Player of the Month for October, when the Bucs won three of four games and he had 12 touchdowns and only one interception. The Bucs defeated the Packers and Raiders back-to-back by a combined score of 83-30. Brady threw a touchdown pass to his old friend Rob Gronkowski against the Packers. It was Gronk's first, and it didn't come until the sixth game of the season. The next week against the Raiders, he threw another to Gronk, and they connected again the next week in a close Monday night victory against the Giants. Gronk had retired following his final season in New England in 2018. He was burnt out and beat up. When he decided he wanted to play again, it was only because he wanted to be back with Brady. He wouldn't have played for any other team, and the Patriots traded him to Tampa. Suddenly, in a season like no other the NFL has ever seen, as it battled to play through a pandemic, there was a sense of normalcy. Brady to Gronk, the second most prolific touchdown combination in NFL history, trailing only Peyton Manning to Marvin Harrison with the Colts. They were back in business. Brady and Gronk played together nine years in New England. Gronk was not surprised by how well Brady was playing through the first part of the season. I've seen his work ethic my whole career, and uh, he's had no drop-off since the day I've met him. Uh, It's unbelievable. And, uh, uh, you know, there's no surprise to me that, you know, he's at this age and still playing at a high level. Uh, He's been telling me for quite some time that he's going to be playing uh, at a high level until, you know, until he stops playing. So uh, uh, it's it's not a surprise. It's just, uh, you know, I've been seeing it firsthand uh, with, with my eyes, his work ethic and how he takes care of himself. So uh, I see it happen and uh, it, it's just unbelievable. The more things change, of course, the more they stay the same. But hold off on Barbara Streisand's iconic 
the way we were. When Brady and Gronk came to the sideline after his first touchdown catch, the coach was not wearing a hoodie. He had a beard. Wait, what? Was this a Halloween trick with Bill Belichick dressing up as Bruce Arians? No, it's life in the NFL. The NFL has become such a transient league. Free agency gives every team a chance to win, for sure, but it deprives fans the opportunity to develop a deep emotional attachment to players. In a league of next man up, few make it through their career or even past their rookie contract playing for one team. In the aftermath of leaving the Patriots, it's become clear how disenchanted Tom Brady was his last few years in New England, even telling NBC's Al Michaels last year that he was the unhappiest 8-0 quarterback in football. I guess the most surprising part, as it turns out, is that Brady lasted as long as he did in New England. Perhaps it was out of loyalty to Robert Kraft. Maybe it's because it's not easy to win in the NFL and he had so much faith in Belichick that he overlooked the things that were bothering him. The Bucks offered an opportunity to see if the natural grass in Tampa was indeed greener than the field turf in New England. Brady already knew the weather was better. The Bucks had excellent wide receivers in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, a good running back in Ronald Jones, and productive tight ends with O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait, although Howard tore his Achilles early in the 2020 season and was lost for the year. Gronk went from being a luxury to a necessity. But even more, Bruce Arians is a collaborative player's coach. Brady found out after a poor two-interception performance in the season opener in New Orleans that Arians is not afraid to publicly criticize his players, something Belichick rarely did. Brady was willing to live with it. It was a small trade-off for his newfound freedom after his escape from the Belichick evil empire. The Bucks are doing everything to take advantage of however many years they have Brady. They added running backs Leonard Fournette and LaShawn McCoy to provide depth behind Jones. Brady clearly was involved in personnel, which never happened in New England. He was responsible for talking Gronk out of retirement after he walked away from the Patriots. Brady's influence led to the Bucks trading for him. Even though Arians said the decision to sign Antonio Brown midseason was made by him and general manager Jason Light, it had Brady's fingerprints all over it. Brown sat out the first half of the season after he suspended the first eight games for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy. Although the Bucks did not make any deals at the trading deadline, getting Brown for the second half of the season was their key addition. Brown and Brady developed a close, if unlikely, friendship in the 11 days Brown was with the Patriots last year. He was kicked off the team a few days after the only game he played for the Patriots when there was a report of him sending text messages to a woman who had alleged he sexually assaulted her. Brown signed with the Patriots with the sexual assault allegations already against him, but the text messages happened on their watch and they cut him. Brady was upset once Brown was gone and moped the rest of the season about his lack of weapons at wide receiver. Brady put his good name on the line by endorsing and perhaps pushing the Bucks to sign Brown after Arians had said in the offseason he wouldn't be a good fit 
on their team. It's either an indication of Brady being so desperate to prove he can win without Belichick or a true sign of compassion and believing in second and third chances. Tampa already had a deep and talented group of receivers, but they had some injuries the first half of the season and Brown was an explosive insurance policy in the truest sense. Explosive on the field and too often off the field. In an attempt to make sure Brown didn't get into any trouble, Brady had him stay with him at his house in Tampa, which he was renting from Derek Jeter. Tom said he was just trying to be a great teammate. Brady was asked why he would put himself out there for Brown. Is it all about football or is it trying to have a positive impact on a teammate who needed direction? Well, I always try to have a, you know, bring a, a positive uh, impact to our locker room. And um, I had so many guys that I looked up to when I was a player. And when you start in the NFL, I started on a team with a lot of great veteran leaders and guys that really took me under their wing. Um, Willie McGinnis, Teddy Bruschi, Troy Brown, Drew Bledsoe, uh, just exceptional players, but great guys. And then over the years, you know, when you transition from a younger player to an older player, you really want to see guys succeed and you want to see guys do well. And it's always about maximizing your potential. And I had a lot of people support me over the years, realizing that I was far from where I needed to be. And they would guide me to and provide me with the help that I needed as a player to reach my potential. And I think that's, um, you know, how you impact people, and I think we talk about that a lot as professional athletes, how you impact people on the field is one thing, how you impact people off the field is another. So whether that's teammates that you can impact or um, people in the community that you can impact, I think all those things are important. And um, you, know, you just try your best every day, realizing that, you know, so a lot of people weren't born with the same advantages that I've had growing up. They weren't born with the same background or support systems that I had. And I think when you recognize that and you bring that to relationships, um, all you can do is the best you can do. And, you know, for me, I think that's something that I uh, really enjoy still about playing football is that I have probably more perspective than just about every player in the league right now based on my years of experience and what I've seen. And, um, and I want to see other guys succeed. And I think a lot of joy in my experience comes from seeing other people be their best and seeing people succeed in ways that can set their family up and, uh, I think that's a really important aspect of football for me. Brady's had an interesting first season in Tampa, away from the field, while making a case that 43 is the new 33 on the field. He held off-season workouts in the midst of a pandemic at a Tampa high school with his new teammates, despite the NFLPA advising him against group workouts. At one point, Brady quoted FDR, the only thing to fear is fear itself. Well, FDR was not talking about a pandemic. In October, Brady posted on social media that there had been more suicide deaths in the previous two months than COVID deaths. That was incorrect, and the post was quickly taken down. On the field, he forgot it was fourth down late in the game in a one-point loss in Chicago and wouldn't acknowledge it when he was asked about it after the game. He showed poor sportsmanship by walking off the field in Chicago without shaking hands with Bears quarterback Nick Foles, who was waiting for him at midfield. Foles beat Brady in Super Bowl 52 when he was with the Eagles. Brady is demanding with his teammates. He yells at his offensive linemen. He freezes out receivers he doesn't trust. 
He works incredibly hard and does not have patience for teammates who don't share the same dedication or work ethic. He knows what it takes to win, and his standards are off the charts. Once you know what it takes, you can't unknow. You know, you can't fake and you can't fool me anymore. I, you know, as, as a player, when you look in another guy's eyes, you know if he's got it or if he doesn't. And I'm not going to have blind trust that something's going to happen if I don't see proof of it. Right. I want to see it. And that's, I've been around long enough where that's what my expectations are. And, you know, it's, it's been a lot of experience, but it's also been a lot of trial and error. All that being said about how disenchanted he was in New England and how energized he's been in Tampa, if one player was going to wear one uniform, you figure it had to be Brady. In 20 years in New England, he went to nine Super Bowls and won six. And while Brady and Belichick had grown tired of each other, neither was tired of winning. Looking back on it, that's what held them together the last few years. But Brady thought he had a better chance to win another Super Bowl in Tampa, and Belichick thought he had a better chance to win by finding a new quarterback. How's that working out in New England so far? The next couple of years will determine if Brady and or Belichick were right or if they really needed each other. We'll be back with more of the GOAT, Tom Brady, right after this. Until free agency started in the NFL in 1993, players can only move on if they were cut or traded. Once players won the right to leave when their contract expired, all hell broke loose. Even so, there were some players, no matter what, who I always felt would only play for one team. All bets were off when Montana was traded by the 49ers in 1993 when he lost his job to Steve Young in San Francisco after Joe had missed all but one game in the previous two seasons. Once I saw Montana in a different shade of red in Kansas City than he had worn for 14 years in San Francisco, everything changed. If the great Joe Cool couldn't finish his career with one team, then I would never again be surprised by any player changing teams. Making the switch even harder to digest, Montana couldn't even get the number 16 he made famous with the 49ers. Chiefs legend and Hall of Famer Len Dawson wore number 16 in Kansas City, and the Chiefs retired it in his honor. I was working with Lenny at HBO when Joe signed with the Chiefs in 93. Lenny was still a huge presence around the Chiefs and in Kansas City. He was the analyst on the Chiefs radio broadcast and did the nightly sports news on local television. Dawson told me several times he didn't want Montana to wear his number 16. And he didn't. By the way, when Brady went to the Bucks, wide receiver Chris Godwin had number 12. He gave it up without Brady even having to ask or proposing a financial transaction to get the number from him. When Jeff Fiegels was with the Giants, he made out like he was a game show contestant, first by giving up his number 10 to Eli Manning, and then his number 17 to Plexico Burris. Meanwhile, Montana did well in his two years in Kansas City, taking the Chiefs to the AFC Championship game against the Bills in his first season. The Chiefs might have won that game if Joe didn't suffer a concussion on the third play of the third quarter in Buffalo. In the final game of his career in 1994, the Chiefs lost to the Dolphins in the wild card round. 
Montana and Brady are not close friends, and part of that could be ego. Montana has heard for so long that he's the greatest of all time, and now the consensus is Brady has passed him. The thing driving Joe and is now driving Brady is their competitiveness. They don't want to hear that somebody else is better. Regarding the Patriots letting Brady leave, Montana told Jarrett Bell of USA Today in March, quote, I don't know what's going on inside there, but somebody made a mistake. He went on to say, I still don't understand how New England let him get away. I don't understand that. If Brady is able to win a Super Bowl in Tampa, he will get his own parade. After all, the Bucs are the losingest team in sports history since their inception in 1976. When they signed Brady, the Bucs had an all-time record, including the playoffs, of 273, 433, and 1, a winning percentage of just 38.7%. They lost their first 26 games. And when coach John McKay was asked about his team's execution, he joked, I'm in favor of it. The Bucs became respectable during Tony Dungy's six years as their coach. He led them to four playoff appearances, but he was fired after a wild card loss. John Gruden took over and with Dungy's players, won the Super Bowl in his first season in 2002. Brady signed with a team that had not made the playoffs since 2007. And consider this, from 2008 to 2019, Brady's last 12 years in New England, he made it to five Super Bowls and won three. Now, how much longer will he continue to play? He said for years he wants to play until he's 45 years old. That means through the 2022 season. But if he continues to play at a high level and the Bucs are having success, don't be surprised if he keeps going. Who will talk him out of it? Maybe his wife Giselle is the only person who can tell him enough is enough. She was able to convince Tom to cut down on his time at the Patriots facility in the offseason his last two years in New England in order to spend more time at home with their kids. Perhaps she will encourage him to retire and get out while he is healthy and start the next phase of his life. Ultimately, the GOAT will make the decision that is best for him and his family. For a long time, Brady wanted to be Joe Montana. After Tom won his first Super Bowl, he visited Joe at his home in Calistoga, California. They text every now and then. Brady went from chasing Joe's accomplishments to surpassing them. Montana versus Brady is like Jordan versus LeBron. You can't go wrong. Ultimately, the championships are the tiebreaker. Jordan has six, LeBron has four. Brady has six, Montana has four. Let's go back to my conversation with Joe Namath. Joe, I know it's hard to compare eras, but do you consider him the greatest quarterback that ever played, or do you have somebody else in mind, or have you not really given that a lot of thought? I have given thought to that at times, and the game's evolved. You know, I go back to watching Otto Graham with Paul Brown and the Cleveland Browns up there, and Bobby Lane had some swagger, and he, he was something, uh, slinging Sammy Ball, you know, he played both ways, too. There were guys uh, that we didn't see a lot of at the time, and uh, the evolution of the game, you see, that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tom himself, you know, he's grown with the evolution and being a part of the improvements of the 
the practice techniques and all. Uh, these guys, like Johnny Yu, you know, you, I, I could go on and name guys uh, that you could name too. And uh, these guys were great players. Uh, they had, they had the uh, kind of teammates and the kind of conditioning and all that other players have today. Maybe they would have been good too. But the fact of the matter is, none of the guys I mentioned had the number of challenges that Tom has had in big games. And he's answered those challenges more often and better than anyone has ever, has ever done it before. And that, that's why, yeah, I put him at the top of the list because he has proven what he can do not once, not twice, not three times, four times, five times, six times. Mm-hmm. You know, against the best competition that the sport has ever seen. As long as Brady stays in love with football, he will envision more rings are in his future. No matter how many he's won, he's always fighting for the next one. Because mm-hmm. emotionally, you have to bring it every day. Because if you don't, who will? Right. So you have teammates that are just going to show up sometimes and go, okay, let's get through this. Like as a quarterback, you just can't get through it. You gotta be the guy, you gotta uh-huh. bring it. And if you don't, the team's gonna flatten out. You're gonna be eight and eight, you're gonna be seven and nine. So I know the emotional, mental toll it takes on me. He said at a Super Bowl a few years ago that his ACL injury in 2008, which happened in the first quarter of the very first game of the season, gave him a new perspective. As a result, even after a loss now, He walks off the field thinking that at least he has a chance to give it another shot the next week. The will to compete is what motivates him. I think you've got to have ambition and you've got to have a belief that you can accomplish those things or else why would you play? Why would you work hard if you didn't think you could accomplish that? But you also know that the reality of football is a contact sport and your career can end at any one point. So it's a uh, it's a blessing to be able to be here. It's a blessing to make it through a full season and not get injured. Um, You know, it takes a lot of uh, takes a lot of good luck and a lot of blessings, and a lot of prayers to walk out the field every single uh, game. Brady is not even thinking of retiring. As he said, retire to do what? He's playing with house money now. He's already the GOAT, and it looks like I'm going to have to wait a while to write the final chapter. I'm Gary Myers, and thanks so much for listening. The GOAT, Tom Brady, is a production of Diversion Podcast in association with iHeartRadio. This season is written and hosted by me, Gary Myers. Executive producers Scott Waxman and Mark Francis for Diversion Podcast and Sean Titone for iHeartRadio. Story editing by Scott Waxman with editorial direction from John Tuttle. Editing, mixing, and sound design by Mark Francis. Archival research by Brianne Murphy. Verna Fields is our technical producer, and our director of marketing and business development is Jacob Bronstein. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA. Find Diversion on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at DiversionPods. And let us know, what do you think of the show? Send us your questions, your comments, and even your critiques. That's Diversion Pods on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
Podcasts.